Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on what was a sunny day, but the sun has now gone away in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said, as once again, we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Julie Georgie. Julie is the owner and manager of Key Lime Coffee, an independent coffee shop in Liverpool, Merseyside. As well as running Key Lime with her husband, Georgie also co-owns the Yamas Greek Taverna, having opened its doors back in 1995, and also works as a sales executive with Jeunesse Global. Uh, Julie, welcome to the programme, and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Hi, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure having you. Now, the purpose of this podcast series is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership as a whole, and it's fair to say that leadership is really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it, with the current COVID-19 situation and business leaders feeling their way through the pandemic and guiding their businesses through this current time. So for somebody in your line of work in the hospitality industry, how has it been for you trying to get through the last few weeks? Because I can imagine it's posed an incredible challenge. Yeah, it's been really hard. It's probably been the hardest time in, in all our years of business um, the last couple of weeks. Basically, all our staff at the minute are furloughed. Um, we are keeping in touch with them. We are updating them. You know, that first week when it was announced, oh, don't um, avoid coffee shops, avoid restaurants. Mm. That really hit us hard. And then we're obviously now thinking about the future and how we're, how we're going to recover from it. Exactly right. And there's a great deal of uncertainty surrounding the uh, the future, of course, and the business is really having to try and plan as proactively as it can to uh, be ready for that. Um, and there's maybe been a little bit of a light shed on that um, as of yesterday. And of course, for the benefit yeah. of the listeners, we're recording on uh, the 11th of uh, May 2020. Yeah. So yeah. yesterday, literally, um, Boris Johnson, uh, the Prime Minister, addressed the nation with a roadmap, if you will, a provisional plan out of the UK lockdown. And hopefully hospitality businesses will be opening by probably July the 1st at the earliest as a provisional possibility. Is that something that's maybe come as encouragement to those within your industry, Julie? Okay. Um, no, I, I think it's still going to be uncertain, even if we, you know, we've got a date for whether that's going to be the date. We don't know what's going to happen. It's still going to be uncertain. Everything's going to be different. Um, we're having to put a lot of things in place, delivery, um, screens, masks, it's going to take us a long time to recover from this, to be honest, even if it's given us a date that we can reopen. Mm, absolutely. And um, the nature of um, that sort of projection, um, if you will, it is very much a provisional and it's going to be dependent on um, a lot of factors. Yeah. Um, so it's basically almost in a way the blind leading the blind. Some people are saying I'm out there at the moment. Exactly. And yeah. Can you think of a time as a business leader where you've ever seen an environment like that? Never, never in in all the years we've been in business have we seen anything like this. We had an idea it was coming, obviously January, February, but we didn't know. Um, it's like it's like being in another world. We did not expect it to hit so hard and, and affect basically every business we've got, which is hospitality. Um, so we've we've been hit hard by it. Our staff have been hit hard by it. We, to be honest, no, we've never ever experienced this. 
And um, during this time as well, um, we've really entered a period of self-reflection and we've seen that there's a lot of emphasis now as well on the importance of uh, mental health and the well-being of employees going forward. Even though, of course, um, as you say, working in the hospitality industry, um, all of your employees have been uh, furloughed under the government's job retention scheme. Um, Are you proactively looking to continue to engage with those employees and just make sure that they are sort of in a good headspace going through this situation? We are. Yeah, we are absolutely all together in this. Um, we have our own little page set up. We constantly stay in touch. They know that I'm at the end of the phone if they need to ring me for any reason. Um, we are a close-knit. So, yeah, 100% my, my staff uh, or my team are, are all with me through this anyway. Exactly right. Um, and it's important to remember that as a leader as well, um, without a team of people around you, you're not really leading anything as such, are you? So their importance yeah. is magnified by um, consideration of, of that point. And the fact that those people who can continue to work at the moment often are having to do so remotely from home as well. It, po- yeah. it poses a whole new group of challenges for business leaders, doesn't it, in maintaining that contact? Because we may have taken that human contact for granted uh, prior to this um, current situation. And now we're having to adjust to the challenges of maintaining contact and just making sure that we can stay in touch with each other from a distance in a way and it's a huge challenge in that respect yeah and making sure that everyone's 100 percent ready to come back to work and and, you know we're ready to, to battle on and just get through it Mm, and I think it's very clear that um, your leadership style, Julie, is very much a close-knit and team-orientated sort of style. Yeah. But if we yeah. think about maybe some of the influences behind that now, um, what would you say is really kind of rubbed off on you throughout life and made you really think that this is the way that I want to go about leading my business? Yeah, because as a, as a leader, I'm not a boss. I don't call myself a boss. It's, it's a leader. Mm. Um, my team, an extension of me, basically, um, we're all very close. We, we bounce ideas off each other. Um, I mean, that's just the way we work. The team are confident. Um, you know, they've got my back in and everything. Basically, they're, they're my face as a business when I'm not there. So um, they're all important and we are close. I think that's... Um there's a lot to be said for uh, for that approach I mean basically keeping everybody well informed and I think it goes um, back to um, a key word transparency doesn't it as a leader I think exactly. transparency yeah. is really important on the one hand but also humility as well showing that as a leader that you're leading by example and bringing yourself onto yeah. a level with um, your employees and in the hospitality profession especially I think that's so really important to ensure that they are aware that you are prepared to muck in with uh, certain tasks and you're willing to kind of sort of get your hands dirty in a way because I think uh, yeah. the leaders that show humility in that sort of manner, I mean, it's far more um, easy, if you will, to be able to take people with you. And when you are very team orientated as a leader, I think that's also hugely important, isn't it? Yeah, because we all, we all have a vision. Um, they carry my vision with any business we've got. Um, they, they work as I work. So my, my word is customer service. I think it, it says a lot. And my all my team, are 100% on customer service because that's how, that's what we are. That's what our vision is. Um, Happy staff, happy customers. I think that's absolutely right. And um, when we talk about, of course, um, this current situation as being a learning curve for businesses, because a lot of people are saying that in the sense that they're having to innovate and try new things to really be ready to seize upon the market opportunities that are going to come about as a result of a changing environment, for sure. Um, Is there anything that you've learned from this experience, even though, of course, business has pretty much had to kind of shut down for the time being? 
Yeah, I've learned that we need to look at other ways and other things we we have to do. We can't just carry on like we were. Nothing's going to be the same, um, I would say, for the next couple of years. This has had an effect. Uh, So it's just basically, and I'm bouncing ideas off off my team as well of what we can do, Um, maybe go into deliveries and um, obviously the two-metre distance, now we're going to arrange the shop. Yeah, there's, there's things that you would never have ever had to look at in the past that now makes you change the way you think and how you're going to operate a business. I think that's um, absolutely right. But we also hear as well that times of adversity such as this are the times where you really see people mucking in and you get the best out of them. I mean, we've heard plenty yeah. of stories, haven't we, of people, whether they've had to continue to work remotely or whether they've been working on site still in those, um, of course, critical industries, that they've really kind of got on with it despite yeah. the risks. They've really mucked in for the good of the business. And yeah, you see that, don't you? You learn more almost from times of difficulty than you do when things are going well Definitely. in some ways. You see, yeah, you see a change in people. You see everyone helping out, um, shopping for vulnerable people. You know, people, people just, you just have to just do what you can. You can't just, well, obviously you have to stay inside, but you can't just close your eyes to it. Every, everyone's doing the bit. Exactly right. And um, even though physical work for yourselves has ceased for the time being, have you seen people stepping up to the plate in the sense of, like you say, sharing and contributing ideas and really bouncing off each other as oh, to yeah. how business can proceed from here? A hundred percent. I'd say we, we have a group chat and, you know, I keep my staff informed of uh, government changes, when we might be open and what will happen when we open. And, and I take all their feedback because they're the ones who work in the industry. They they know what would work and what wouldn't work. So, yeah, everyone contributes on how we're, we're going to get through this. And do you think that experiences like this, where you are forcibly thrown out of your comfort zone and you have to really push the boundaries for the good of the business, do you think that's a really beneficial um, aspect for someone's development as an employee and as a leader, do you think? Do you think Absolutely. there's some positives in that? Yeah, I think it makes you stronger. I think you're going to come back with a stronger. You, you're just not floating along and just some day, some weeks you'll just go, oh yeah, we're busy or we'll just carry on. You know, this has pushed us to the point where we really have to get together and we really have to think about it. And it, it, it changes your whole attitude and it, and it will change us when we open. I think what it certainly uh, builds in uh, businesses um, is resilience, isn't it? And that is going to be really, really yeah. important coming out of the other side of this current situation as well. Yeah, because some businesses won't survive this. Um, you know, we're lucky that we, we will get through it and we, we will reopen. But I, I know a lot of businesses that just couldn't not survive it. Absolutely. Um, there are going to be some businesses who unfortunately can't see out the uh, the period, but that is going to uh, create um, existing, um, well, new rather market capital for those who are still um, operating to be able to take advantage of that. Um, yeah. Of course, you've um, had um, a lot of experience, not just in uh, running businesses since the, uh, the mid-90s, but also you've seen out um, the 2008 financial crisis. You're seeing out this current situation yeah. now at the moment. And experience, yeah. um, there's a lot to be said for it being one of the greatest teachers, especially in business, um, isn't there? Definitely. Some people, of yeah. course draw a lot of inspiration from the likes of um, mentors, uh, people that they've encountered throughout their career, maybe business people within the public eye, such as the the Richard Bransons and um, Bill Gates of this world, I suppose. But experience um, often can be sometimes overlooked as um, one of the greatest teachers out there, can't it? I think so, yeah. I think you you don't realise what experience you've got 
Um, you've been in business a long time. You, you don't really think about it until you hit a, a crisis like now. Like you, you draw on your past experiences. Um, yeah, I'm constantly Googling what other people are doing and, you know, seeing how other people are going to get through this. And there's much to be said for that, isn't there, as well? Because as a leader, I think there's a lot of pressure on you as the one at the helm to have yeah. all of the answers in one go. And again, yeah. as we said, this has been a period of self-reflection. And I think leaders have really kind of taken on board this idea that they are fallible. And sometimes when there's so much uncertainty like now, they're not going to have all of the answers at one point no. in time. And sort of maintaining a cool head and still being able to direct businesses through that. I mean, that's obviously one important element of being a leader, but also recognising that we're not alone in this and we can of course look to other people see what they're doing yeah. and again share ideas yeah um, it, it is a lot about you at first it was very uncertain and it was hard and it was like oh what are we going to do and I've ta- obviously we've had the time to sit and reflect and draw on ideas and discuss things so it, it's starting to become a little bit clearer because of that and maybe you know we, we're ready we're ready to go when we can go um, but going back to the 20th of March, it was it was just a blur. Like, what are we going to do? Exactly. It was hugely um, unclear um, at that point yeah. in time um, because we'd already seen um, the Italians, for example, going into lockdown very early on yeah. in March. I think their lockdown was triggered by uh, their Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte back on the 9th of March. And we didn't yeah. follow suit until the 23rd, I think. Yeah. And... Basically, we've kind of there's a, there's been a lot of media coverage over that sort of laissez-faire approach that we were taking in the first few weeks of the uh, the pandemic until we imposed harsher measures that have now been in place uh, for almost two months. Um, as yeah. a leader um, within an everyday business context, uh, Julie, do you advocate being more of a proactive leader in getting on top of difficulties when they arise as soon as possible, just diving straight in, getting on top of the situation? Or do you like sometimes to sort of take a little bit of a backseat, let matters play out a little bit and then try and take action from there? Yeah, absolutely. Reflect on it first before. Don't just jump in and make the wrong decisions. Um, we, we, what I say was Blair the first day, what are we going to do? It took me about a week or two, obviously still in touch with the staff. But as time's gone on, um, we, we, it's starting to, to come back together. We're getting our heads together. Um, so we, I am I'm more of a reflector than jumping straight in. That's um, quite interesting. And um, if we think about all of that experience that you've accumulated, not just over the years, but also in navigating through this current situation, if you were to give any sort of advice to younger generations of um, emerging leaders who are looking to aspire to be in leadership roles themselves one day, what sort of advice would you give them, Julie, as um, big things to take on board? Yeah, obviously, if you haven't got that experience, it's just to really look at what other people are doing. Um and, and don't really believe that everyone's right. Nobody's uh, nobody's perfect. You have got to take on board everything you you read. Don't believe everything you read. Um, just taking the responsibility. Just being strong, really. I think it's also um, quite um, a good point to mention as well um, to those younger people who are tuning into this to not be afraid of trying things and maybe getting one or two things wrong as well because. 
making mistakes and learning from the experience of making mistakes is again one of the valuable things of business experience isn't it and sometimes Um, I think among younger people Julie we can see people maybe being afraid to take even measured risks just just because they're afraid of failure and maybe afraid of the criticism that would come from that exactly it's trial and error I think in the whole of business you've got to try new things if you don't work you don't do it you change and do something else um moving with the times but everyone makes mistakes nobody's perfect exactly. and, and we don't dwell on those mistakes but I've probably made a lot of mistakes in the past and it's not something I can recall we, we've just got on we've just moved on we've changed what we did and moved on exactly it's recognition of um, the fact that we are very much fallible as human beings and also adapting based upon the experience that we have of getting things wrong and changing direction when we have to i think that's a lot yeah. to be said for that i think that's absolutely right yeah 100% and if we think about the uh, the future again uh, julie just before we do we'll wrap things up on the uh, program today um do you give me an idea of what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself and for the businesses and also what you hope to achieve not just in navigating the current situation but also for when we start to emerge from the covid pandemic and we're looking beyond then as well yeah we we just want to get back 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 onto it um it, it is going to be difficult times it's, it's going to be a lot of changes we, we want our customers back and, and our customers love us and they're going to know we're coming back. Uh, so it's just about changing the way you work. But maybe coming back stronger eventually. I think everyone's going to come back stronger. You've, you've been through this. You've survived it. And you've just got to just get back as strong as you can. I think that's exactly right. I think you can only just kind of plow on and uh, look to the future um, at the moment and just be as resilient yeah, as possible. You, you've got, yeah, you've got to be hopeful of the future. You've got to hope. Um, you can't just, just lie down and say, oh, this is it. You, you, you know, think, things will change. In two years' time, we'll be back where we were. I think and most businesses will be even stronger because we survived it. Exactly right. And there will be um, a great deal um, of reward for those businesses that are able to be resilient throughout this period. And I think um, in uh, the case of um, your own businesses, uh, Julie, um, when we start to see the, uh, the fog lifting in the next few months as we begin to emerge from the uh, the current situation, I think it would be really nice uh, for the listeners, especially if we could have you back on the air with us just to catch up on how the business is doing and how that market environment is adapting um, around you as well. Um, yeah. But for now, even though we are just about out of time on today's programme, I have to say it's been a really insightful and also really enjoyable experience and having you on the air with us and i can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on um, and speak with me today for the listeners benefit it's been a really really good experience oh thank you so much thanks for having me been great thank you it's been an absolute pleasure julie thank you ever so much thank you that was julie george you speaking and coming up next on the program today i'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst, a former professional footballer who played as a centre-forward. Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals during his club career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, but more notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. 
Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that, of that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is 
at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of the World Cup against uh, 
Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green from Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, 
Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh if you, that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, 
and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'm, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word word is team. The word is is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. 
And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.